This is episode 21 with Coach Nate Helming from The Run Experience. Welcome back to the Strength Running Podcast. Our guest today is Nate Helming, a coach in California that has worked with Olympic-level cyclists, pro triathletes, elite mountain bikers, and national-level ultra runners. He has certifications in USA Track and Field, USA Triathlon, CrossFit, CrossFit Endurance, and CrossFit Mobility. In other words, Nate knows his stuff. And I'm thrilled to bring him on the program today to talk all about the supplemental work that we do as runners. Not the running, but the mobility, flexibility, and strength workouts that not just make us better runners, but make us better athletes. Nate is co-founder of The Run Experience, and they produce a ton of helpful videos about this very topic. So if you enjoy strength running routines like the Matic warm-up, the gauntlet plank workout, the ITB rehab routine, then you're going to love the material that Nate and his team produce at The Run Experience. And longtime readers of the Strength Running blog will know how adamant I am about strength training and other ancillary work that helps prevent injuries. Because if you can stay healthy, that enables more consistency in your training. And as I like to say, consistency is the secret sauce that enables successful running. Stay healthy and you'll be able to run more miles, take less time off due to injuries, and ultimately race a lot faster. So I hope you enjoyed my interview with Coach Nate Helming. Nate, welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. Oh, thanks, Jason. I'm uh, pumped to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this because we are talking about one of my favorite topics, injury prevention. And more specifically, we're going to dive into mobility work, strength training for runners, and CrossFit for runners. So I think this is going to be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. Let's start with your background. You have certifications in so many different areas from CrossFit Mobility to USA Triathlon to Freestyle Connection, which I had to look up and uh, I wasn't too familiar with that. And it's a movement-based program. So I guess Mm -hmm. to start, what made you so interested in learning so much about such a variety of athletic disciplines? You know, I think uh, because I had a lot of things break <laughs> when I was younger. And uh, I was sort of, uh, my hand was forced, so to speak. And I'm, I'm happy to obviously dive into it a little bit more. But I was falling, I was consistently falling between the cracks of what was traditionally offered to runners for injury prevention solutions. And uh, I was basically like really forced to go down some directions that that at first were in all honesty kind of scary and intimidating and uh like very uncertain like I didn't know you know who to talk to like you know as a young runner you sort of look up to those more experienced runners and coaches and then all of a sudden you're pretty quickly into new territory where you're talking to uh gymnasts and break dancers and power lifters trying to get some help. <laughs> yeah. And all those things are so important too. You know, all the, the different things you can learn from even power lifters. I've learned some, I have a couple friends that power lift and, Oh, that's cool. It's an interesting discipline. And, uh, I, you know, I, I don't think it's that much different than running. It's a totally different type of sport, but the fundamentals yeah. are all the same. And, you know, I like to think of endurance runners as 
athletes that specialize and there are so many other elements of being a well-rounded athlete, you know, like mm-hmm. coordination and flexibility, speed and strength. And if we only focus on endurance, we're not going to be as fast in any race distance. We're going to be more likely to get injured. And so from a performance and a longevity perspective, I think focusing on other aspects of athleticism is a no brainer for every runner. Yeah. You know, I think one of the, I've had a, you know, a few, uh, moments of clarity in, in, in between long moments of, of confusion and frustration. But I remember one of my, my moments of clarity when I really thought about this was it really made a, a, like, it really like came together when I realized just how powerful our lifestyle is, our day-to-day lifestyle on our athletic goals and ambitions. And I was, at the time I was, the strength coach for this high school mountain bike team in Marin, which I, the fact that there are high school mountain bike teams now, I think is the coolest thing. Cause that's what I would have done in high school, but I had to not, I had to quit mountain biking to do like the high school team sports at the time. So I'm helping these kids at, and, uh, one of the first times I'm, I'm working with them in, in a quiet, you know, studio, Jason, uh, I'm just having them do just some like little warm ups and like some simple squats. And these are like 15 year old kids. Some of the best, high school cyclists in the country. Um, and I'm listening to the snap crackle and pop of like tendons sliding over kneecaps, uh, and around ankle bones. Uh, it sounded like a giant bowl of rice krispies and it's like these kids moved terribly. They were stiff. They were awkward as all get out. And what was really interesting to me was like, Oh man, they're part of the high school thing where they ride their mountain bike 15 you know, hours a week. And obviously there's some parallels to, to specializing in running as well. But when I thought about like what they do the rest of their day, it's like, okay, these kids wake up in the morning, uh, they roll out of bed, they sit at the breakfast table. Uh, maybe they eat on the go. Then they go sit in the car on the bus. Then they go to school and then they sit in their chairs while they're learning. And then, Hey, they got their sport, but all of a sudden their sport is just mountain biking where they sit again and go through these incredibly limited ranges of motion. And you could basically erase mountain biking there and just put in running. And if you go through your day to day, which is varying degrees of sitting and standing and moving in very limited ranges, and then your one sport is this very limited range activity, I don't think it's going to go well in the long run from your your body's perspective. That's such a great point. And uh, I, I think the effects of such a sedentary lifestyle shouldn't be ignored. You know, we are kind of not built to be sitting down for over nine hours a day. And that's the average in the United States. The average person in the U.S. spends over nine hours a day sitting down, which is going to wreak havoc on on so many different areas of of your body and uh, particularly mobility. And that's the area that I wanted to talk about next. Um, So for, for someone who isn't sure what mobility even means. How do you define mobility as it relates to distance runners? Sure. So the two big words we see, and sometimes they're interchanged, is this notion of flexibility and this uh, notion of mobility. Uh, Flexibility, in the way that I understand things, um, really relates to muscle length, right? If we're talking about flexibility in your hamstrings, it's, it's, how much can you stretch those suckers out and you know how much can you specifically loosen those guys or, or any other muscle out there? 
for me uh, and the way that I've been sort of taught to use the word mobility, it has much more to do with the range of motion of any given joint in your body, right? So instead of talking about hamstring flexibility, we could talk about hip range of motion, hip mobility. And what's interesting is that when I start looking at hip mobility, I start stepping away from you know, the anatomical map of looking at all our muscle groups and start looking at movement. Hey, what movement should my body be able to get into? How much hip extension should a runner have? Um, maybe I know I could say that, hey, it's certain muscles uh, like your rectus femoris and your psoas and your adductors that get really tight. Or I could just say, you want to know what? You're really missing hip extension. We just need to improve that. And if I get your hip into this position, I know that I'm going to stretch all the relevant muscles out that need to be stretched. Yeah, I'm sitting here shaking my head. Yes, for all of our listeners. I've just been going, yes, yes, yes. I, I It's funny. I just contributed to a Washington Post story with Steve Magnus over at scienceofrunning.com about oh, cool. flexibility for runners. And you know, one of one of the things I said in that piece was, Look, runners don't have to be gymnasts. We don't need to be able to do a, a side split, for example, you know. Right. And and that ties in directly to your point of the fact that flexibility is, you know, more in line with what runners, you know, tend to do more frequently, which is static stretching. You know, it's trying to lengthen the muscles so that you have longer muscles. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Mobility is, is much more tied to movement and it's much more functional. Um, now, we were talking about being sedentary and all the sitting that most mm-hmm. of us unfortunately do all day. What effect does that have on your range of motion and your mobility? You know, I, I've just found that, you know, like like anything in life, if you're trying to pick up a language or play an instrument or, or, or do really anything else is our, our body's very good at at responding on things we ask it to do, right? And and our bodies are pretty incredible. Like we could climb Everest, you could be parachuted into a new country and you'll learn the language eventually or at least figure out how to like order a coffee and a beer. Uh, and you can and you and you can start to get these things, but you just have to ask. The the flip side of that is that if you don't ask for any range of motion from your body, you're going to lose it, right? It's just the body just sort of naturally stiffens up, um, you know, specifically one of the bigger common patterns, especially as we spend most of our world uh, looking at devices right in front of our face, is that our shoulders start to round uh, internally forward, our thoracic spine stiffens up, we sort of lose that range of motion there, and we become this very, very stiff block. Um, But what's interesting is that Throughout the day, we still need to complete tasks, and this is really important. When my body misses key range of motion that would be ideal for maintaining mechanics that would minimize chance of injury and wear and tear for the long run, it'll figure out how to move through that range of motion anyway by compromising on those mechanics. You know, an example might be someone's ankles, right? Like runners tend to get have stiff ankles because we don't challenge them that much. And uh, if I'm missing my ability to point my toe back towards my knee, which is something called dorsiflexion, which is something you see uh, when you sit down in a squat all the way, 
it's also very important when you start running uphill and challenge that range of motion, you either have two options. You either run up onto your toes, which if you're running long enough, feels powerful and bouncy, but you're going to flame out your calves and Achilles, or you're going to turn your feet out into a duck foot position, which is also more common. And all of a sudden now your, your foot is maybe collapsing more. There's additional stress on your Achilles. You can't stabilize your hip and your knee as well. So there's, there's increased effects up there. Um, all because, you know, we sort of lack this range of motion in our ankles and we don't regularly challenge it. So how do we become more mobile? Like how do we counteract the effects of sitting? How do we become more, uh, uh, mobile and have better ranges of motion so that we're not as compromised when we go to do say a speed workout on the track or a technical trail run that does require a little bit more mobility. So I'm going to give you the big answer and I'm going to give you the specific answer. Um, and, and I know you like to dig into some of the philosophical things. Uh, I do too. Oh yeah. Um, we need to change, uh, we need to shift the culture a little bit. And what I mean is, you know, I run in, you know, San Francisco and there is this, you know, relatively well-known uh, running store out in Marin County called the San Francisco Run Company. And it's home to a lot of, you know, really fantastic ultra runners and uh, and really everyone and just enthusiasts uh, all over. And, you know, when you sort of go there, there's so many things you learn just by hanging out in that group, right? All of a sudden, you've got people more experienced who can tell you exactly what that race was like, what Boston was like, what, you know, Western states was like last year, they can give you tips on, you know, hey, you know what, like carrying a bottle in your hand sucks after a while. Like I like this, you know, little hydration pack instead or like, dude, these gels are okay, but this thing is better. Like you just learn so much from from those types of situations. So they're very powerful. But you also learn by what they're not doing. And when you show up to a lot of those runs, you're like, well, I don't want to be the weirdo. So I'm just going to follow in, in step with what everyone else does, you're like, oh, you know, before this major run, you know, most people just kind of stand around with their, their arms folded and they just kind of shoot the shit. And I'm like, okay, I'll do that too. And like, what's the cool down look like? It's like, oh, they kind of stand around with their arms folded and maybe they get a grab a coffee. It's like, oh, that sounds good. Like, I'll do that too. And I'm obviously not specifically throwing stones at, at any individual who knows what type of warm up they do, you know, on their own or before races. But just as a, a general picture, what's interesting is that there's no warm up. You know, runners don't generally do that. Like they might do it in specific contexts, like, well, I, I warm up before race and every once in a while I do a drill. But, you know, when I quiz most of my runners online, you know, when I joke with runners, when I when I go out and speak, you know, most of them were like, yeah, we just put our shoes on and go. And I try to joke. It's like, hey, slow, slow jogging is not the best warm up for slightly faster jogging. Like what if we were to stop five minutes in and give ourselves two minutes of some leg swings, some arm swings, you know, a little downward dog push up to upward dog. Like I'm pretty agnostic on what it is, but I could just inject two to three minutes of a little bit of strength and a little bit of mobility into the time I already have set aside. You know, so that kind of goes into the more specific side. But what's interesting is that runners don't learn this stuff because as new runners, you're following what the more experienced runners do. And if they're not passing it down to you, how are you supposed to know? 
Yeah, it's a tough kind of a situation because, you know, especially for new runners, they really do look up to those runners that are more experienced, the ones that are more accomplished. And, uh, you know, I, I can't agree more with that. You know, I have this concept that I use with my athletes, which is uh, I try to make it really simple. And I say that, you know, your workout for any day, doesn't matter if it's a recovery run, a long run, a faster session, uh, your workout includes a dynamic warm up before you go running and it includes you know, some runner specific strength or core work after the run. And I call this a, a run sandwich. So you're always sandwiching your run exactly in between a, a nice warm up and a, a nice strength routine. And this, you know, it, it has a lot of benefits, of course, you know, yeah, you're going to work on mobility, but you're also really preparing your body for a harder effort when you're running. And then afterwards, yeah, you're gaining some strength and that's the primary benefit of doing a strength workout, but it also is a nice cool down. It really helps you, you know, get your heart rate back from, you know, it being really high to being at a more moderate level before you, uh, eventually, you know, hit the shower and, and, become sedentary. Again. Yeah. So it, start, it's this start answering those emails again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. So it's almost like a bell curve of we're starting at a sedentary position. We're gradually ratcheting up the intensity so that, you know, we're increasing our heart rate and respiration and blood flow to the extremities, lubricating the joints, doing all these things that a proper warm up should be doing. And that I think is such a, a more beneficial way of warming up for a run than say just, you know, five minutes of, of really slow jogging. And I can yeah. say that, you know, from personal experience and from working with a lot of runners over the years, these runners just tend to feel better. They they're after, you know, a week or so of getting used to the routines, they're like, wow, I feel so much better on all of my runs. It's incredible. Yeah. It, it makes a big difference. Um, you know, kind of going back to that sort of cultural component, like, cause, cause the thing for me, Jason, and, and you've been at this for a while yourself, you know, the, the feeling thing really is important. It kind of has to be there. The, if, if, if strength training is, is argued solely from, you know, the rational, uh, logical argument, like you could lay out the scientific studies and, and every other reason why you should do strength, you know, if, if people don't have the opportunity to have that and experience that feeling, you know, I, I think the conversion rate and, and staying power is going to be, be way limited. It's going to be sort of very low. Um, you know, another cultural community example that I think is interesting, you know, I used to train a lot as a triathlete and I remember doing some group rides with road cyclists and I don't know if I ever, you know, like read the guide of how to like I didn't download the hundred page guide on how to be uh, a responsible cyclist on the road. Like you sort of watch people and they point out things and then you start pointing out things and they kind of use their fingers. Like there's sort of a a way of being in the pack, like right in the little the little Peloton group. And it's just sort of interesting to me. It's like, huh, like coaches don't even have to talk about this. It's just we all sort of learn this from each other triathletes on the other hand have a have a you know a semi-justified i say this as a former proud triathlete myself have a uh, a reputation as as not being very good bike handlers and and not always being uh as fluent in having those conversations on a crowded road it's just because they haven't been taught and other triathletes don't sort of pass that down so it is really interesting to look at the the power of things that we do learn from, you know, our 
incredible run coaches out there. But I think it behooves us to also be open to areas of information from outside of running because I think that can really make us better as a sport. Right. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you specifically today, because you've, you've, you know, have certifications in everything from CrossFit to USA triathlon and, and movement disciplines. And so I think, you know, the more, you know, about exercise science and physiology and movement patterns and all this, all these areas, the better coach you're going to be, because you're going to be able to tie everything together into a much more cohesive program. Um, now let's, uh, let's talk about mobility in a, in a slightly different sense. Um, sure. you know, we can, of course, we can do a dynamic warm up before we go running a bunch of dynamic flexibility drills, uh, and, and exercises like that. Are there other ways to improve mobility, uh, without doing dynamic flexibility work? You know, the, the two things I think would be, would be, okay, what are, what are some of the easy wins? Like what, without like going to a yoga class or, or starting to add some sort of strength and movement practice into the week, which I'll talk about in a second, you know, what are some simple strategies you could do while working? And that might be if you have the availability, you know, transitioning from say a sitting desk all the time to being able to stand. And, um, I'm not condoning necessarily switching to immediately 10 hours of standing that will crush you. Uh, so having the ability to, to float back and forth is really good. Um, but if you don't have a standing desk, like, Hey, do you have phone calls? Do you have meetings? Can you, can you go on a walk and have that meeting or have that phone call instead of, instead of sitting all the time? Uh, sometimes if I'm writing emails, granted, I'm a total weirdo who either works in his business partner's uh, apartment, uh, or in the occasional coffee shop in San Francisco, where let's be honest, anything really goes around here. Um, I'll like sit in a lunge where I'll have like one knee down on the ground just to kind of open up my hips and I'll just, you know, trade sides every once in a while. So that's an easy way to add a little bit of, of mobility in there. Uh, the other thing I would say, uh, Netflix and mobilize, right? We all have time at the end of the day, maybe after <laughs> dinner, it. where, you know, we're spending 20 minutes is actually a perfectly length dose. That's most episodes of what we're watching, 40 minutes even better, where instead of just piling on the couch, like, you know, pick one or two problem spots for you and, and work on there. Um, I, I don't know any runners who are like, dude, my quads are not tight at all. They're totally fine. Like, it's like, come on, like our quads are always tight. Um, you know, our, we could, you know, mobilize uh, our calves and ankles a little bit more. So just, you know, like, watch your show, watch your program and, and, and mobilize a little bit. And those are kind of some easy wins. Yeah. You know, it just reminds me, I recently, um, surveyed a bunch of pro runners on their favorite injury prevention ideas and strategies. And oh, cool. Amelia Boone, who is, uh, the world's toughest mutter champion, I think two or three times, uh, I yeah. think three, but she has a nightly mobilization routine where every yeah. night she spends, you know, roughly 10 or 15 minutes just mobilizing and going through a bunch of different motions. And, uh, it, it's actually something that I have been wanting to get into now that I'm, you know, not a spring chicken anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm starting to feel the effects of, of being in my mid thirties. And, you know, it's, it's something that has so much value, but very little risk. I mean, you're not going to hurt yourself, um, you know, doing foam rolling, you know, unless you're doing something crazy and, uh, that is, is far outside the normal use of a foam roller. But, um, you know, yeah. you mentioned 
moving throughout the day, which is something that I want to touch on. And, you know, I remember, I don't know if it was 2010, somewhere around there, you know, we we learned that, oh, sitting is the new smoking. And whether or not that's actually true, we did learn about all these ill effects that happen in your body when you spend prolonged period of time sitting down. And so everyone started saying, all right, well, now we we need standing desks. We need to to stand up more. But I'm always a big believer in variety. And I really like what you said with, you know, rotating through many different positions throughout the day. So yes, you can sit down sometimes, but you know, maybe you can rotate through some lunge positions at, at a, at a low table, or if you have one of those ergonomic kneeling chairs, and then you can do some standing or sitting on a Swiss ball. You know, these are all really great, uh, ways to vary your movement patterns throughout the day, because without that variety, you know, I think it's important to note, you know, your muscle and connective tissues, they remember the positions that you put them in. So if you are hunched over your laptop for nine hours a day, or you're just kind of sitting on the couch craning towards that TV, then 20 years from now, your body's just going to be in that position all the time. So I I think that's a really helpful thing to to, to know. And, And I really like that you mentioned rotating through a bunch of different positions. Yeah, you know, it's funny, um, or not funny, uh, it's unfortunate, but like texting neck is now a thing, you know, that physical therapists are looking out for, like, you know, serious changes to, you know, our cervical spine and and thoracic spine where that, you know, head is sort of hunched over. Um, And, you know, I'm, I'm really glad, Jason, that I didn't have a smartphone in my face until I was probably out of college. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, they haven't been around that long. Um, but I think about uh, kids these days, but I think about kids these days where like all of a sudden they have a phone or a screen in front of them at the age of 10, you know, it's like, what are they going to look like when they're our age? And, uh, I think it has the potential to, to get kind of ugly, unfortunately, or just, or we're going to see some changes, uh, in our body. That's not necessarily, you know, ideal. And, you know, I like how you said that, uh, our bodies remember, the positions that we spend most of the time in, you know, so it's like you could do your, your run drills, uh, once a week or twice a week and your body is going to kind of remember that, you know, 30 minutes of, of neuromuscular work, (laughs) but then it's competing against the like hundred hours of, of neuromuscular work you've done just kind of sitting like a lump, uh, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's funny to think about it that way. Yeah, it's uh, something that I think more runners need to think about when they work full time, when they work in an office job. Um, now, hey, let's talk about foam rolling. Are, are you yeah. are you a fan? How do you like to use it with your athletes? And uh, you know, maybe some some big mistakes that you see runners use with their foam rollers. I am generally a fan of foam rolling as a way of doing soft tissue work for ourselves. You know, I give this analogy sometimes, like if you going back to like a bike, you know, if you think about 90% of your bike maintenance is probably putting air in your tires and a little lube on your chain. And like if your tires are flat, that will drastically affect how your bike rides. If your chain is rusted, you won't shift. Uh, But so if you do those things, your bike is pretty much good the majority of the year and, and it'll function pretty darn well. Um, the good news is like you don't need to get air professionally installed by an air mechanic, you know, for for your 
for your bike. And in a lot of respects, foam rolling is is that equivalent for me where, you know, hey, if I need major work on my bike, if I need to get my bottom bracket replaced, if I need to get a, a new derailleur or chain put on, you know, like go see a mechanic, you know, the one or two times a year you need to or go see a body worker. But so much of the regular maintenance is stuff that we can do um, and and we can get in there. I would say that the biggest mistakes I see, well, I see two two mistakes. One mistake is um, not changing up the implement, you know, so it doesn't matter if you sort of have the best foam roller out there. You, your body sort of adapts to it in a certain respect. And sometimes like I will be opportunistic, like if I'm shooting a video and I, I forgot my foam roller and I was going to show you how to roll out your calves. It's like, hey, my travel coffee mug actually works pretty well for this. Um, a lacrosse ball or a dog toy works pretty well for this. Uh, a wine bottle in a pinch can be great on your quads. Um, you know what I mean? So like we can we can kind of play around with different implements and that slightly varied stimulus might make us realize that we've sort of adapted to the relative level of softness of a current roller and we might be ready for something a little harder. Uh, the other little, not necessarily mistake I see is that we just, we just get stuck mobilizing the same muscles the same way. Um, so a big example would be a lot of us when we foam roll say our IT band uh, or our quads, we tend to travel north-south from the knee to the hip and back. Um, but what I found is actually very productive is to go, uh, cross fiber and go in an east west direction. And I find that that can be a great way to, you know, break up some of those adhesions that occur where I go north south is like seek and destroy. Like I find those little tight hot spots, And then when I'm on a hot spot, I go east west. I try to try to break it up. Yeah, again, variety, variety with how you foam roll, how you do self massage and variety with what you're doing that self massage with whether that's a you know foam roller the stick uh lacrosse ball even a wine bottle lord knows i have enough of those lying around <laughs> i can use one of that in a pinch <laughs> um, exactly. let's let's transition to strength training uh, sure. i think i think strength training is is much sexier than mobility work most runners don't want to do any kind of mobility work but you know when it comes to strength training it's just a little bit more fun now mm-hmm. As you can imagine, I'm in touch with runners of all abilities and different ages who are all training for different kinds of races. And the issue that I run into time and time again is that most runners just get confused about strength training, so they don't do any. And yeah. so what do you say to these runners? In other words, what what is the minimum effective dose of strength training for endurance runners? Sure. So in my as I talk here, I'm I'm going to probably share more from just an experiential anecdotal sense as opposed to any type of, uh, you know, research study. You know, when we're, I think it's helpful to take a step back when it's like, when we're going from nothing to something, there's going to be a benefit, you know? So we don't even have to overthink it just by adding it in somewhere is probably better than not adding in at all. And, you know, feeling a little overwhelmed, um, I find it perfectly reasonable, you know, for for runners of all calibers and actually especially for runners who are trying to push their limit in terms of competition or distance or anything else that, you know, at least two days a week I don't think is at all unreasonable. 
Um, and especially if you're getting those little micro doses of movement and mobility work in terms of your warmups and everything else, like you're getting some regular, uh, exposure there. But I find, you know, like two days and then, you know, if I'm, if I'm someone who is a lower volume athlete, uh, or maybe, you know, just wants is coming back from an injury or just wants to be more balanced and not super runner focused, you know, like three days, like why not? Now, what is a, okay, let's say a runner is doing some strength training twice a week. And I'm, I'm mm-hmm. kind of assuming this is a, you know, formal kind of strength training workout where maybe they're in a gym, maybe they're not. Can you explain what yeah. does a session like that look like, generally speaking? Sure. So, uh, you know, the way I run my program here, like I have a, a local uh, program in San Francisco, run out of San Francisco CrossFit for endurance athletes. Um And I have, you know, three components to this. Um, There's, you know, the first 10 to 15 minutes is general movement and mobility and some other things where I basically kind of joke, but it's like uh, the first 15 minutes is just get you back to normal human being status. You know, like with my triathletes or cyclists, it's like after a long week of riding, you start to look like your bike. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) have you been, you know, ultra running all weekend, like, you know, you might trip on like that little like nickel that you found on the ground because you're so tired, you can't pick your feet up anymore. Like we just need a little moment to get back to being uh, in touch with our athletic human selves. And that is a really valuable 15 minutes because it doesn't matter if it's right after a race, if you're absolutely exhausted, this could be a rehabilitative thing. So it doesn't tax you from a um, a nervous system standpoint, it just gets you moving again. Uh, once we've sort of checked that box, we'll move into the main set of the day. And I usually choose if they're in the gym, one or two lefts and guys, I really keep it simple. Like I would do on Tuesdays, I would do some for, let's say if they're doing Tuesdays a week and it's Tuesdays and Thursdays on Tuesday, I would do some sort of squatting, uh, and pressing. And uh, Thursday, I would do some variation of a deadlift and a pull-up. So kind of covering my very, very major bases. Uh, yeah, and w- I think when it comes to the the lower body, the legs, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head with the two major exercises that are the most beneficial for runners, uh, the squat and the deadlift. And the squat yeah. is essentially, um, you know, squatting weight down and then pushing it back up. And a deadlift is pulling weight up off the ground and then putting it back down on the ground. And, you know, you know, the deadlift very much works the posterior chain really, really helpful for, um, you know, the glutes and and the hamstrings. Uh, I think those are, those are some of the more important muscles when it comes to injury prevention, especially, you know, after we consider the fact that, you know, most of us spend a good chunk of the day sitting down and these are the muscles that are getting uh, weak and tight. And, you know, the squat I think is really great because it's, it's such a power exercise, you know, even the deadlift too, of course, but squat is just such a, such a really great versatile exercise. And there's so many different variations. You know, if you only did squats and deadlifts as a runner, then, you know, you're, you're 80% of the way there. Yeah. And, you know, like kind of just like further commenting on, on movements like that, um, you know, it's like we sit and stand all day. We have to be good at that. You know, we sometimes sit in shallow chairs, but like it's nice to be able to sit down on the ground and play with your kids. Uh, You know, so going back to the movement mobility standpoint, like I can increase my range of motion by 
challenging myself through those ranges. And, you know, what's interesting is like flexibility isn't very useful if we don't know how to control ourselves through that range. So going deeper into a squat and learning how to be strong and stable there is really productive. Um, deadlifting is just picking up something off the ground. We do that all the time. Uh, I remember working with, a you know, uh, a cyclist and I kind of go back and forth with runners and cyclists, uh, in terms of just similar common movement patterns. But, you know, this guy was sort of a, he kind of came to me afterwards, but like he pulled his back out on the way to his race, moving his heavy bike box through the airport, you know? So it was like, he's like, well, I'm a cyclist. I'm not going to do these things, but he just lacked this fundamental ability and language to, to maneuver this heavy object around. Um, so that I think there's sort of value there. And I like to even go another step further and say, like, they are definitely lower leg biased. Um, and I know you know this, too. It, it's sort of like a like strength coaches, like dumb, like pop quiz question. It's like, like, what muscles does like the squat work like everything from the neck down, you know, and, and I kind of like that because it's like, you know what, like if I'm front squatting, especially or overhead squatting, my upper body, my shoulders are being challenged in a major way to improve my posture. Uh, my midline is firing like crazy. There's nothing better. Uh, there's no better core exercise than being under a heavy bar of some sort. Yeah, that's true. I've read that. And, uh, you know, I, I spent a little bit of time, uh, earlier in the year, well, I guess now that it's it's March, it was really about nine months ago, but um, doing a lot of heavy weight lifting and my God, squatting heavy weight is, is such a, a big stress on the entire uh, abdominal area. You know, your entire torso oh is under so much more strain. You think you're under strain doing a plank, yeah. squat 150 <laughs> or 200 pounds and you're, you'll really be under strain. That's awesome. So what were you, what were you doing and, and how did that how did that interact with your running when you were going through that heavy cycle? I'm just, I'm just curious. Yeah. So I was basically doing two days a week of heavy weightlifting and it was almost like a hybrid program uh, sure. between, you know, really runner specific types of, of strength movements. You know, I was doing a lot of like single leg work, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I was also doing some, you know, classic heavy squats, heavy deadlifts, uh, heavy bench press, things like that. And so it oh, was, cool. it was a hybrid between, you know, I wanted to help my running, but then at the same time, uh, I just wanted to develop a lot more strength and, uh, a little bit for vanity reasons too, if I'm being honest, you know, I just wanted to, uh, hopefully be a little bit more cut, but I have, there I have the worst body type imaginable for putting on weight, putting on muscle, no matter what I do, I'm just the same 127 pounds. It doesn't matter what I do. <laughs> Oh man, that's amazing. Well, Hey, if you're 127 pounds and you're putting, you know, those numbers up, that's not bad. That's not bad at all. Yeah. It's a, de a decent ratio. Um, uh, still it, it's not going to, it's not going to impress too many people. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's, let's talk about a different type of strength training. Let's talk about CrossFit. Sure. Um, sure. you're, you're a CrossFit certified coach, you're a CrossFit yeah. mobility certified coach, and it, it's probably not going to be a surprise to my listeners that, I have had some problems in the past with CrossFit, uh, sure. CrossFit endurance in particular. You know, I, I, I just sure. don't believe that it is an effective training program for endurance runners. You know, there's, I, I think, things that we can take from CrossFit that can be helpful to runners. But I think as, as an entire training program, you know, for distance runners, if you're going to use it exclusively, I think it's subpar. Now, I know that... Um, 
you know, you've worked, you know, on, on different elements and aspects of of CrossFit and, um, you know, I kind of want to get your, your thoughts with, um, you know, how can CrossFit be implemented in an endurance athlete's training schedule without putting them, uh, at at risk? Because I I think that's one of my main criticisms of CrossFit is the, the risk factor. For sure. You know, it, it, so it's funny. So I, so training out of San Francisco CrossFit, you know, and I've been there the last six years and, and CrossFit hasn't been around that long, but like six years, it's like, <laughs> it's like forever, you know, because this thing has only been around for, you know, probably since the early 2000 and there's just been so much change. Um, you know, the, the owner of my gym where I train out of Kelly Starrett is really good friends with Brian McKenzie, who is the founder of, of CrossFit Endurance. And, you know, at the time I was racing, um, as an elite amateur triathlete, you know, racing Ironmans and half Ironmans at Olympics and, and trying to be the best triathlete I could be. Um, I found that there are certain aspects and, you know, my strength at the time was, was basically working with some of these guys for better or worse. Um, and, you know, I, I really struggled too, Jason, with the, the, the CrossFit endurance cycle as it was written. It just, it just didn't, it didn't fully intuitively make sense. And I, I definitely experimented with some things. I sort of realized, you know, what was kind of cool about CrossFit was at the time of where it was, it was so early on and it was like the first generation of sort of this new sport and it gave people a freedom to explore and think and figure things out. And it was sort of similar to like, I remember reading, you know, some early stuff about triathlon days, you know, when the Ironman was not a thing and then it became this race, you know, no one, people had ideas and how to train for it, but it's not like they're, they're referencing generations of Ironman endurance athletes, you know, so guys would be like, well, I'm going to ride 160 miles and eat 50 bananas. And another guy was like, well, I'm going to do the opposite of that. And, and, you know, stand on my left foot for like three hours a day. And, and I'm obviously, I'm being a little facetious, but it was, it was almost that random if you really are honest. Um, but with that, you sort of got things kind of dialed in. And then, you know, the second generation of coaches comes along and they're like, nope, this is the way you train. You know, this guy did 160 miles and that's how you have to do it. And then the third generation comes around and in certain respects, you almost see that there's less original thought. It's more about, well, I don't want to be wrong. I just want to follow what's already been done. Um, so what's interesting with with the CrossFit and the CrossFit Endurance was like, you know, they were trying to poke at this a little bit in terms of, hey, let's challenge some generally held beliefs around the running world. Um, but you know, the, the flip side of that and what's down for them is like, Hey, these generally held beliefs are those beliefs for a certain period of time, uh, because they're effective and then they work. So I always did more volume. Um, the things I borrowed from was probably some of the strength, uh, and movement side of things, because that was really the only platform that I could find that was effective for teaching this. Um, and I, I kind of went with it from from there, but I, I didn't really feel like I got a ton of help and support. Like I was in a situation where I could talk to these other experts, but there was no like runner or triathlete other than like Brian McKenzie who <laughs> knew what they were doing uh, playing around with these pieces. 
Yeah, there's there's so many good things that you can take away from CrossFit. You know, you yeah. mentioned strength and mobility, and I think those are the two most important uh, aspects of the sport that runners should be incorporating into their into their training. Um, yeah, you know, the things that I, I don't really agree with are you know when you start doing Olympic lifts in an AMRAP environment. You know, so when you're doing as many reps as possible of a clean and jerk or a snatch or, you know, a, a deadlift or something like that, because, you know, form is just so important when it comes to these highly technical lifts and you're just asking for, for an injury. And, and I think, you know, it really hits on the point that you made with, you know, some of those, these deeply held, uh, beliefs or convictions or, or training ideas in the running world are, are really there for a good reason because it's accepted exercise science, you know, where, of right. course, where, you know, we want to stress the body, then we want it to let it recover and adapt the whole stress adaptation totally. response. That's all, you know, widely accepted and, and very well researched, uh, exercise science. Yeah. And, you know, the other, thing that we need to think about when it comes to strength training for runners is that, you know, we get enough aerobic exercise and even yeah. anaerobic exercise when we're out running, when we're in the weight room, when we're in the gym doing uh, a lifting workout, the goal isn't to get a metabolic stimulus in, in my view. And it sure. really is to work on strength or power or uh, explosivity. You know, there's a lot of different things that you can work on, but it almost precludes you from doing any kind of AMRAP workout where, where you're doing it based on time and your heart rate is through the roof. Yeah. You know, I, I have a few, I have a few kind of additional things to say on things that I've enjoyed with CrossFit and, and things I've sort of learned from it. Um, you know, one, like sort of with my online business, when I'm looking at, you know, strength training for runners, I, I kind of quickly found that CrossFit was just, it, it wasn't a battle that I personally had to fight. Um, so it was like, well, we don't have to talk about CrossFit, but let's do some squats. Like we don't have to talk CrossFits, but like, let's do some pushups. And it's like, it's not CrossFit, but you know, maybe a burpee in there every once in a while could be, could be beneficial for you. Um, the thing that I think a lot of runners really like um, and when they runners really think about performance is that running is tutored as this, you know, solo event, but in a lot of respects, it's, it's a team sport. And it's like, when you get runners training together on the track, you know, they're probably going to get a better session than if they were to be solo all the time. And, and obviously granted, there are times where you should be alone. There are some athletes with a certain psyche that they will always thrive better alone. But you know, like, painting broader strokes. A lot of us enjoy running for those longer groups, those group sessions on the weekends. Um, and that's where you learn a lot from each other. And I found that the way that CrossFit set up classes and the way it sort of built a community is that everyone is going to come into the gym and do the same workout and that there's going to be someone leading the way. And granted, you know, you can have really high level coaches, um, like for example, at our gym, we have like three physical therapists on staff teaching, you know, these, these, you know, strength and conditioning classes. Um, you know, you sort of get everyone on the same page and, and that is just really nice from a, a longer term staying power perspective. Um, you know, the, the commercial gym where you kind of have your earbuds in and you're just sort of working out in the corner, you know, granted some people, like that and really enjoy it. But I'd also say like, you know, like the group thing is kind of nice when you're all on the same page. Uh, there's, there's some really, you know, benefits to there. 
Um, you know, as far as Olympic lifting and AMRAP stuff and, and everything else, you know, anytime we're doing anything, and I think this is important for us to remember as runners as well, and we're looking for some sort of bigger payout in terms of training stimulus that could be training for that marathon, that faster time, that longer mileage, um, anything that has a big payout has an equally big risk and downside. And our job as, as coaches and, and well, as runners, because we coach ourselves, is to always mitigate those risks and, and sort of be aware of them. You know, like, Jason, you probably worked your way up to whatever weight you were doing, but you didn't step in under the bar and be like, oh, screw it, I'm just going to lift 200-pound back squat, whatever. Um, you know, you probably, there's like a healthy fear, <laughs> respect for the bar, and you're like, you know what, I'm going to work my way up, and I'm going to challenge myself, but probably stay in the realm of, of what feels like pretty good technique to me and, and everything else. Um, what's interesting is that we don't always apply the same psyche to our running and our run mileage. You know, like higher running mileage is, a, I like to say, a privilege. It's not a right. You know, it's a privilege we sort of have to earn, you know, over time with good training decisions and everything else. The same way that, you know, higher, heavier weight back squatting or anything else is. You know, in all, in all honesty, and this is perfe perfectly uh, anecdotal, like I still CrossFit now. I worked out this morning, you know, with my wife and a bunch of other people. Um, we regularly do workouts that have, you know, higher repetition Olympic lifts uh, and people are good the same way that, you know, you run longer distances on the track and you're good. You know, I think the the danger, and this is where CrossFit obviously can get a little a little dangerous, is, uh, you know, you get thrown into those higher rep scenarios uh, with a coach who's just telling you to look at the clock as opposed to pay attention to your own body, and you're not given those uh, escape routes, those moments to stop and, and reflect and, and collect. Yeah, it's almost like if you were to join a running club and you go for their yeah. Saturday morning run and you're, you know, a new runner, let's say you're running 25 miles a week and they have a 19 mile run planned. That's not the appropriate run for you at this point in your training. And it yeah. it can be the same thing if you go to any kind of a group athletic or fitness class at a gym where, you know, they might throw something at you that is not uh, very appropriate for you in, in whatever athletic journey that you're on. And you need to be careful about that. You know, you need to make sure that you're not taking on too much. And a lot of the um, uh, foresight and, and even hindsight, you know, thinking back to where you're going to go and, and back uh, in your past on what you are capable of doing today, you know, you need to remember, um, you know, what it is that you're capable of doing. And you need to say, is this something that's appropriate for me? And is this going to help me get to my goal? Um, and, and I really love what you said about, you know, the group, you know, group training. Yeah. It's definitely better if you can train with a group rather than, or even just a single other athlete than alone. You know, if you are yeah. doing a workout on the track, it's better to do it with one person. It's better to do it with two than one or three versus two. Uh, you know, I always say that, you know, I feel like I cheated when I started running because I started running 
on a cross country team. So right. I literally just had to show up and I had two coaches. I had a team of peers, but also runners that were much more advanced than me that I could learn from. And, you know, it, it was, it was a great environment for me to be aspirational, but also for me to work on my present day weaknesses and, and build on my strengths. And I think if any yeah. runner has the opportunity to, uh, work out with other runners, you know, that's why I'm such a big proponent of, uh, you know, being on, being on some sort of team, even if that's just a virtual team where you can, yeah talk shop with, with other runners all the time in some sort of, uh, uh community environment. All those yeah. opportunities have really, really great, uh, payouts to, uh, to runners. You know, the, the last thing I'll say, um, that I've just found beneficial about, you know, getting athletes together in the gym is, is when athletes are, are dealing with an injury and, you know, there, there's nothing worse. I think, you know, a lot of us, when we are dealing with some injury, you know, there could be a sense of isolation from our community. Like we're, we're, we're not allowed to go on the group run anymore, you know, so we can't catch up with our buddies and, and we don't feel like we're an athlete. And, and then sometimes we're doing less than sexy exercises, you know, doing sidesteps around a gym or, you know, doing crunches on a Swiss ball um, that doesn't have the same emotional satisfaction as like shredding it on the trails for an hour. Um but I found that, uh, you know, if I could get that athlete in the gym, you know, with a group, um, and let's say they're dealing with an Achilles or calf thing, it's like, hey, chances are I could probably get you swinging a kettlebell and working on some pull-ups, and maybe I could get you on a rower. So maybe these guys are working on some jump roping and some box jumping, and that might not be good for your calf, but I could get you in and challenge you improve your body in some way while also creating some space for you to work specifically on your injured area and you still feel like you're part of the group and you're doing something. Uh, and I know that when I went through a lot of those injuries, those were really beneficial for, for me to, to kind of have that group experience. Absolutely. Nate, this, this was awesome. I really enjoyed talking with you about all this stuff. Like I said at the beginning, this is, you know, my, my inner running nerd, maybe not so inner, <laughs> really coming out and, <laughs> uh, and, and shining here. I love all this kind of injury prevention and mobility and strength oriented topics. Um, before we go, do you have any recommended uh, books or other resources for runners who want to learn more about the topics that we talked about today? Sure. So I have uh, a company called The Run Experience, and uh, we've been around for a couple years now. And, you know, we're putting a really big push to put a lot of video content uh, for runners on how to problem solve injuries, on how to, um, you know, strength train, strength workouts, how-to movements on how to break down specific things, uh, run workouts, and and really how these all integrate together. Uh, currently, we're putting out three YouTube videos a week uh, on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, so you could check us out there. And then really all of this goes through our site at therunexperience.com. Uh, we even have a new mobile app that we put out uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, so hopefully we could uh, potentially link to that, but that's just therunexperience.com, all one word, slash app, A-P-P. Uh, and that would be a great place to uh, poke around and, and get a little bit more uh, you know, background and information on some of these things we talk to. 
Thanks, Nate. That's um, really great that you're doing video because I know so many runners, you know, you can you can write or talk about mobility exercises or how to properly mm. mobilize a certain muscle for, you know, pages and pages and hours and hours. But, you know, without seeing it, you're really not going to internalize it and know how to do it. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's hard to teach yourself golf from a book. <laughs> I think that would right. be kind of hard. Or you're never going to learn how to ride a bike by reading a book. Yeah. All right, Nate, thanks for being here. This, again, like I said, I, I love the, all these topics, and uh, I think our listeners are really going to appreciate uh, all your experience and, and your coaching wisdom that, uh, that you shared today. So besides therunexperience.com, are you on social? Where else can we connect? Uh, actually, it's funny you say this. I'm actually doing a little experiment where uh, I'm I'm kind of deactivating my Instagram account for a little while and and Twitter account for a little while, just kind of I'm doing a little spring cleaning, Jason, and I'm trying to clear the mental clutter. Um, so the be the best place to focus would be, you know, at the Run Experience is at on Instagram. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, and uh, you can find us on YouTube, uh, or you could just send me an email, Nate at therunexperience.com. There we have it. Thank you, Nate. Cool. Thanks, Jason. Hey, it's Jason. Just a few quick announcements before you leave today. First, when I was chatting with Nate, I mentioned that I was working with a bunch of elite runners on their favorite injury prevention strategies. I've put them all together in a book called The Little Black Book of Prevention and Recovery. And if you're interested, you can download it for free at strengthrunning.com slash elites. And finally, a big thanks to Nate for coming on the show and lending his experiences and guidance to all of us. He was introduced to me and very highly recommended by another coach that I admire and respect. So I hope that you'll check out therunexperience.com for all of their great video content. All right, guys, thank you for listening. Until next time.